inform and inspire. We love God. We have to be able to talk about Him. We're the latest, the latest in breaking news and in information, information from the Vatican, from the Vatican to, the to the White House, and House and everything and in between. Serious, serious work is trying to And welcome to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Today is Monday, April 3rd, 2023. It's the Feast of St. Nystus. He was born in Bithynia in 761. And after the death of his father, he was sent to a monastery where he became a disciple of St. Nisphoros. After the abbot's death, Nystus governed the monastery and was later imprisoned for refusing to accept the iconoclast heresy. Under pressure from other prelates, he made a concession, but later repented and returned to Constantinople, where he denounced the heresy. He was then exiled into an Anatolia and made penance for the rest of his life for the concession he had made. St. Nystus, pray for us. What a, what a great lesson there. If you become a heretic, all you got to do is go into exile for the rest of your life to uh, atone for the heresy that you held. Praise be to God. What an awesome thing. Yeah. Uh, so happy Monday to you. I hope you had a good weekend. I had a great weekend. I spent some time with some friends, and it was a really good time. I very much enjoyed it. I had a, a Manhattan for the first time, and I decided I don't really like liquor that much. It's just way too, uh, just way too strong. I drank uh, one Manhattan, and I was like, okay, I'm done for the day. I'm just going just <laughs> to go to bed now. Uh, but praise be to God, I had a good day, a good weekend. Uh, how about you, Tito? Good morning to you. Good morning, Adrian. I had a great weekend. Thank you for asking uh, about that Manhattan. Yeah, that normally when I when I have those kind of drinks, I have it at the end of the day uh, with friends, and and that's the last drink I have. Yeah, those th- those things are tough, strong. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I decided I am just a, a beer guy. I'm just gonna stick with beer and be done with it. Uh, low alcohol content. I can have a couple of them, no big deal. Yep. Uh, Manhattan, uh, liquor, things like that. It's just too much. Maybe a, a, a glass of whiskey, not so bad, because then you just sip on it for hours. But Manhattan, mm-mm. I don't think it's my favorite. But anyway, that's uh, that was my my little thing there. How was your Palm Sunday? Did you uh, have a seven-hour liturgy? Yeah, <laughs> no. With the vigil mass uh, was longer than usual, about. Uh, two hours, but uh, no, we we didn't have a three, seven hour uh, liturgy. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Didn't yeah. didn't break your break your knees or or go your legs go numb from standing up for too much. No, not too much. Okay, that's no, good. Thanks. That's good. Praise be to God. <laughs> Praise. Yeah. The it was a the I love Palm Sunday liturgies. They're just they're so beautiful, but also Amen. Whew, man, they're long. I was reading through the through the passage as Father was reading through the passage, and I'm just like. Oh my goodness! This goes. This, we're still. We're still in it. We're still. Yes, this is great. This is great. Uh, I'm not. Not complaining. Not at all. Um, but secretly, I was like, uh, "How long is this again?" But you know, praise be to God. It was good. I'm can't wait to see the the rest of the passion narratives. Yes, from Matthew, from uh, Mark, Luke, and John. I believe uh, Sunday. No, Sunday is John. The rest of them is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Is that right? Yes, I, I believe so, and I'm looking forward to this week. Yes, the most holy of weeks. Amen. So whatever you're doing for Lent this year, here's your opportunity. This is Holy Week, the holiest time of year, the one time of year where 
everything changes. This week is not like other weeks. So think about setting aside some time this week to dedicate it to prayer, especially when it comes to the Triduum. But even now, I highly recommend that you set aside some time and redouble your efforts for the your Lenten practices. If you had said, you know what, I'm not going to eat cake for Lent. Well, here's an opportunity to say, okay, for Holy Week, I'm going to eat no sweets whatsoever. If you're only eating, you know, like, oh, I'm going to have two small meals and one regular meal for, for Lent this year, or for Holy Week, think about only having just one meal a day. And if you're trying to cut back on food, well, maybe think about, you know what, I'm just going to give up all meat for Holy Week. Do something radical for Holy Week. Do something radical for God for in Holy Week this week. Uh, at 15 past the hour, we're going to be talking about the Trump indictment. How could we not? Everyone's talking about it. At 30 past the hour, we're going to talk about the border crisis. It's a very concerning situation. and some things that I didn't know. I was kind of surprised to find out about. And in the next hour, I'm actually going to talk to you guys about Holy Week and why this week is not like other weeks. Very, very interesting topic, and I think you'll be grow. I think you'll have learned something new. I think so. I mean, I learned something new. I was reading about it yesterday, and I was like, wow, I want to share this with other people. This is some really good stuff. So you're going to want to stay tuned till the next hour. And then, of course, we have our Fear and Trembling Game Show, which just here's a hint. We don't have a live show on Friday, which means we're going to draw the names out on Thursday which means a higher chance of you winning the prize. So make sure you are ready to call in at 15 past the next hour. All this coming up, in, but let's first, let's pray. We're going to pray for Dr. Anthony Stein. His, he just, his wife just gave birth to their son, Aiden. Praise be to God, a good, healthy young boy. And then my friend Josh Patterson, his wife just gave birth to their son, James. And they had an excellent birth, a very short labor. Everything turned out very well, praise be to God. So, and thanksgiving for these uh, intentions and for uh, the health of the babies and health of the mothers. It's a we baby boom. Things. It is. A lot of my friends are having babies. I so, love it. So prayers for everybody. And then we're also praying for whatever it is that your intentions are, praying for your friends, family, benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for. All these intentions we hold in the silence of our hearts. As we pray together for the, the, we're celebrating the month of the Holy Ghost this month. And so we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O Ramus, O God, who taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that by the gift of the same Spirit we may be always truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Today is Monday, April 3rd, and these are your headlines for today. Catholic News Agency reports Archbishop Timothy Brolio, the president of the USCCB and Archbishop for Military Services, offered prayers for the nine Americans who died in a tragic accident during a helicopter training exercise in Kentucky on Wednesday evening. 
The tragic helicopter crash in Kentucky is a grim reminder of the risks taken daily by our men and women in uniform. They put themselves in harm's way to defend our freedom, our values, our way of life. In the process, some pay the ultimate sacrifice, Bergoglio said. The nine soldiers were in the U.S. Army's 101st Combat Aviation Brigade based in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. The Associated Press reports thousands of Poles joined marches this past Sunday yesterday in defense of the late Pope St. John Paul II following a TV documentary that alleged he covered up child sex abuse involving clergy in his native Poland before his election as pontiff. The marches took place in Warsaw and other cities on the 18th anniversary of John Paul II's death. The largest held in Warsaw was organized by an anti-abortion group under the slogan, You Awakened Us. We will defend you. And finally, Catholic News Agency reports Pope Francis was discharged from the hospital Saturday morning after a three-night stay in Rome's Gamelli Hospital. A Vatican statement on Saturday said that the Pope spoke to the hospital administrators as well as a team of doctors and medical staff who treated him. Pope Francis' first stop before returning to Vatican City was to pray in the Roman Basilica of St. Mary Major. Those were your headlines this morning. May God bless you all. The Gospel of the Day is from John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Paschal Feast, Jesus went to Bethany. Bethany was the home of Lazarus, the dead man whom Jesus raised to life. And a feast was made for him there, at which Martha was waiting at table, while Lazarus was one of his fellow guests. And now Mary brought in a pound of pure spikenard ointment, which was very precious and poured it over Jesus' feet. Wiping his feet with her hair, the whole house was scented with the ointment. One of his disciples, the same Judas Iscariot who was to betray him, said when he saw it, Why should not this anointment have been sold? It would have fetched three hundred silver pieces, and alms might have been given to the poor. He said this not from any concern for the poor, but because he was a thief, he kept the common purse and took what was put into it. And Jesus said, Let her alone, enough that she should keep it for the day when my body is prepared for burial. You have the poor among you always. I am not always among you. A great number of the Jews heard this when, and that he was there and went out there, not only on account of Jesus, but so as to have sight of Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. And the chief priests made a plot against Lazarus' life too because so many of the Jews on his account were beginning to go far off and find faith in Jesus, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of things here. Uh, one thing that I want to point out before I jump into Cornelius Alapide is when Judas here says, why should not this anointment have been sold? It would have fetched 300 pieces and the alms be given to the poor. He said this not from any concern for the poor because he was a thief. He was the, kept the common purse and took what was put into it. Now, it's interesting because the other day I was actually traveling and I ran into this guy on the plane and he was just asking about what I do and, and we were just going back and forth and he was heading to Puerto Rico and he was, we were just chatting, chatting it up and, and talking about the Catholic faith. And he says, yeah, yeah, I'm Catholic, but mm, I don't know about the whole religion thing. And he tells me, he says, you know, I don't understand, which this is a just a classic, classic 
uh, statement that people make all the time. I hear it constantly. He said, why, why doesn't the Vatican sell all the gold and all the beautiful paintings and all these things and give the money to the poor? And he's echoing the words of Judas Iscariot. And I find it amusing because then in the next verse, she sa- it says, he said this, not from any concern for the poor. Because it's very interesting because the same young man who I was talking to, he was... Uh, he wore Gucci slippers. He had Gucci uh, outfits. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, mm, why don't you sell your Gucci stuff and give the money to the poor if you want to help the poor so much? Uh, it's very, very interesting. I find that to be, and I hear that all the time. So it's very interesting that Scripture addresses this exact issue. Or Cornelius Alapide says, mystically, the ointment was righteousness, therefore it was of due weight. The gloss says, Mary before anointed his feet as a penitent, but now when the righteousness of the perfect and not the mere rudiments of penitence are designed, she anoints his head and his feet. The pound of ointment is the perfection of righteousness. He anoints the head who preaches high doctrines respecting Christ. He anoints the feet who respects the least commandments. This is a very good point. And also here, the fact that the chief priests come to kill Lazarus. It says that they planned to kill Lazarus. They were going to murder someone just because people were finding faith in Christ because he rose from the dead. So they were trying to make void the power of God by murdering somebody that God rose from the dead. A very interesting thing. St. Augustine exclaims against them, O foolish thought and blindly cruelty, for could not the Lord who had power to raise him from the dead have the power to raise him up also if he had been put to death? And putting him to death, could you take away Christ's power? If a dead man seems to you one thing, and one who is put to death another, behold, the Lord did both, for he both raised Lazarus who was dead, and himself who was put to death. It's kind of funny. He's like, what do the chief priests think? That if they kill him, that Christ can't raise him from the dead again? He's God. Of course he can do that. Uh, Another point here, and I guess the last point I'll make here, is Cornelius Lopati asks, Why did Jesus entrust the bag knowing him to be a thief? For Christ knew everything. He was not deceived. He wasn't tricked by Judas. So why did he allow him to hang on to this? Well, here St. Augustine answers and he says, Because the church would afterwards have its coffers. He admitted thieves in order that his church might tolerate powerful thieves even when suffering from them. To teach us that the wicked must be tolerated for fear of dividing the body of Christ. Do thou the good, bear with the evil, that thou mayest attain the reward of the good. So keep that in mind, even in Christ's time, those who handled the money were thieves, and so too today. We'll be right back with more after this. Hey Donnie, who were the first two people God created? Adam and Eve. There you go, and what did we inherit from them? As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. When you walk into your non-denominational church or your megachurch, what do you see? What stands out to you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, observations in a Catholic church. You will notice at least eight items, all of which have religious, historical, or biblical significance. Secondly, what are those items? As soon as you walk in, the can't miss baptismal font, a stone altar, stained glass windows, 14 stations of Christ's passion, statues, a gold tabernacle, a lit candle near the tabernacle, and a large crucifix. Thirdly, my take. So, what seems to fill your church and truly move you toward Jesus? Oh, I know you don't need a physical or superfluous objects to move you toward Jesus. He's everywhere and in your heart. And that is true. But tell that to Moses, David, and Solomon, who were under strict and exact directions from God on how to build his house and then fill it with his Shekinah glory. I mean, does a comfy chair, does a flashy Fender guitar, does a well-fashioned stage move you toward contemplation and holiness? Remember, stages are for entertainment, but sanctuaries are for worship. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, there's a lot of things that happened over the weekend. I was kind of surprised at how much happened. But the big thing was that we kind of just mentioned on Friday, didn't really get into it too much, was the Trump indictment. I was kind of uh, hesitating on whether or not this was something worth talking about because everybody's talking about it. Every person on the planet is talking about it. And I'm like, ah, there's a need to be talked about some more. I thought we'd just give a brief topic about it, give a rundown of what's going on. I thought it was interesting. I was looking at the New York Times coverage of the the story. And the, the one thing that jumped out to me immediately was the fact that they call him Mr. Trump over and over and over again. Like, that's the that's the title they decided to go with. And so the, the whole article... They only call him Mr. Trump. I was like, don't I thought past presidents get called president. And like whenever something happens with uh, any of the other past presidents, like, oh, yeah, President Clinton did X, Y or Z. They don't just say Mr. Clinton. It's President Clinton. It doesn't matter whether you like him or don't like him. That's his title. I thought that was interesting that they would uh, just spend the whole article calling him Mr. Trump. The other thing, go ahead. That was very charitable of you to say that. Yeah, I I noticed that too. They're they're delegitimizing him already. Well, they've been doing that since the day he announced his run for presidency so many years ago. But yeah, it's just par for the course for our mainstream media. Yeah, the other thing that's interesting is the fact that he has agreed to turn himself in. And that's interesting to me because it kind of seemed like he wanted to not to try to resist. He even called out Ron DeSantis for not saying that he would uh, make sure that they don't arrest him. And DeSantis kind of came out and said basically he wasn't going to wasn't going to send him out. But if Trump turns himself in, he's not going to do anything. He's obviously going to let him do that. And Trump seems to be going going to be doing that. Uh, it's very interesting that, that he would decide to do that. I was kind of hoping he was going to stand up and fight it and then uh, let it be a um, public a public kind of thing where the how far is the New York State and the federal government willing to go with this? Are they going to just start attacking? Like they're going to start sending FBI agents and arrest him? Uh, but then how does that work with the... Secret security, Secret Service. I guess is there going to are they going to protect him against the U.S. government? They are the U.S. <laughs> government. 
So how does that work? That's very strange. And then people are now asking the question, okay, what's going to happen if Trump goes to prison? Does the Secret Service stay with him in prison? Are they going to protect him while he's in prison? That's a very weird situation that we find ourselves in. It's the reason why he's getting charged. And this is a very strange thing. So, one, it's the it's complicated in terms of the what they're actually trying to do here. But the generally speaking, the charges is that President Trump, he did not disclose the amount of the hush money that he was paying to Stormy Daniels, who was a, let's just say, adult film star. And she was allegedly, because I mean, this hasn't even been proven, and from what I understand, she has denied that this is actually true, that he committed adultery with Stormy Daniels, and he paid her hush money, and the money came out of uh, some of the Trump, or well, allegedly came out of the Trump campaign money. And that has also not been proven uh, to be true. And let's just say all that is true. Let's just say every single one of these accusations is true. Is that something worthy of arresting the former president and leading candidate in the Republican Party who is uh, running for president? Is that a worthy something worthy of arresting someone over? Because if we're if that's worthy of being arrested over, how many things have politicians done? How how many politicians? I'd be curious if we start. Let's just start doing investigations of all these politicians. How many politicians have paid hush money? to people that they were sleeping with how many of our of our politicians are adulterers or how many of our politicians are public adulterers that we know about how many are private ones that we don't know about and this is kind of the the point i want to make here because no one is wants to pretend that trump is this perfect guy maybe he did it maybe he didn't uh, i mean it wouldn't be that surprising if he did he's had what four wives and the and so that wouldn't be that surprising if he did in fact cheat on his wife, his current wife, and that is that wouldn't be that surprising. The question though is, is this crime that difficult? Is this crime that bad? Is it diff- that different from past crimes than other people's crimes? So even if all of this is true, is it really worth setting this precedent that we're going to start arresting our former presidents? Because if that's the case, it'll be very interesting to see how the turntables become turned. Whenever the Republicans take power, I really hope that that does not happen because the if we start arresting our we, we're living in a banana public already and to jump all this way. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking about about President Obama spying on American citizens. Uh, why has he not been punished for that? What about Joe Biden and his uh, work collecting money, uh, foreign <laughs> money uh, with his son? Um what about all these different things? What about the Clintons? How many, what list of things can we make about the Clintons? Uh, this is, uh, there's so many things. I, I am, as much as I would like to see a lot of these people get locked up for these things, we have to have a line. Like maybe if you murder someone, like, I don't know, pr- uh, President Obama sending drone strikes and uh, killing American citizens with the drone strike, maybe if you do something like that, then you should be uh, arrested for killing an American citizen. But for payoff money? We're going to arrest a former president for that? I don't know. I don't know. It's very concerning. Uh, the debate right now among among people is, is this going to help Trump or is it going to hurt him? I think the consensus that I've heard is that most people think it's going to help him 
that people are going to rally behind him, and then this may have just secured him the uh, nominee. So we'll see. It's. I think Trump wants his mugshot taken so he can use that as a, a campaign uh, strategy. Uh, secondly, yeah, I think so too. yeah, the what they're doing is unprecedented. There's unspoken word is out. The unspoken theme out there is that you don't indict uh, high, uh, politicians of high political rank. And so if they're going to do that, then the door opens for everyone else. And uh, number th- number three, <clears throat> it is polarizing the political climate that we have now, and then they're going to do this. It's just there are no adults left on either side of the aisle in the party, and they're just going to go and throw some fuel in the fire. Let's, let's, let's polarize America even further. Yeah, and let's to switch over stories a little bit. The story here with uh, Andrew Tate, I wanted to just mention very, very briefly. Um, Andrew Tate is another character who has uh, not the most moral person in the world, much like Trump. He's a he's a womanizer, uh, not the most moral person. Uh, however, he does speak against the errors of feminism. He speaks about uh, masculinity, how it could be a good thing, and things like that, which have been a benefit to a lot of young men who have been told that being a man is evil and so they gravitate to this it's a very sad situation where the only people who are actually telling men that the that being a man is not a bad thing is people like andrew tate who is a womanizer now he is uh, he runs a cam girl business which is very bad very in a, inappropriate uh though though not illegal and this is something that i wanted to bring up because it was reported by many people that he was arrested for trafficking women in Romania. However, that was only ever a rumor, and it was never something that was confirmed. And then the Romanian government never accused him of a crime, but arrested him and kept him imprisoned anyway. They find, they just released him uh, for the after months of him being in prison without ever being charged with a crime, which is, I guess, you know, that's not America, so I don't know what their laws are. But the they somewhat released him in the sense that they uh, he now have him under house arrest. So it's an interesting story, and I want to bring it up because we're, what we see here is Elon Musk calls out the deep state, he gets investigated. Trump calls out the deep state, he gets indicted. Andrew Tate calls out the deep state, he gets arrested. Hmm. I mean, the, all these things happen, and they're happening all around the same time. These things keep happening over and over again. And it's something that we should keep our eyes on. Now, to just leave that there, maybe something worthy of returning to at a later date. The Trans Day of Vengeance, we talked about that on Thursday and Friday and all last week. The, we talked about that. And the Trans Day of Visibility and Trans Day of Vengeance did not happen. On the last day of the, uh, of the month, on the 31st, they canceled the trans day of vengeance because out of fears of the people attacking trans people they said they said oh we are worried about our safety and so they canceled it which i'm glad they canceled it because this could have been very bad considering the temperature that was rising after the shooting in nashville tennessee and how the people responded the all these people who were promoting the trans day of vengeance all the people we're promoting this shooter as a martyr 
and we're and we're justifying and saying, oh well, they had probably had a bad life. Oh, they're probably bullied. Oh, they were a former Christian school student, so you know how that goes. Very very interesting. I was uh, very concerned that that was going to turn out bad. From my understanding, a lot of it did turned out to be a big nothing burger. However. There was this guy on Twitter, Billboard Chris. I don't know anything about the guy except that he is Canadian. And he went out, and I was watching the video that he recorded. And it was uh, very interesting because he just stood out there. He had a sign about uh, children not being able to consent to these mutilations. And he goes out there, and he's standing there peacefully. He And all these trans people start coming out to him and start screaming in his face in particular. And I can't even play this video because of how, how absolutely horrible it is. Profane. And this man, dressed as a woman, and very, very clearly a man, comes up to him and starts cursing into his face, screaming profanities into his face. And after a while, I guess he was not... Amused by the fact that uh, that Mr. Billboard Chris over here was not reacting. He just stood there and just took it. And so he just grabs the guy and just starts pummeling the dude. And uh, not very ladylike, if you ask me. And the police run over and, and help the guy. But then they don't arrest him. They let him go for free. And the police officers who watched it said that it was a mutual fight in which both parties were at fault. And so they did not arrest him. This was very concerning because now we see that the, the these people can basically get away with whatever they want. And this did happen on April 1st, the Trans Day of Vengeance, which they people were saying, oh, well, none of these things were happening. No, no none of these things uh, were going to happen and, and nothing came of it. Well, it may not have happened in D.C., but it did happen over here in Canada where at least there was some violence in Canada. I'd be very curious to see if anything else happened across the U.S., during uh, during April on April first, uh, it was a very concerning situation that I saw there. So let's just keep these things in our minds and keep these things in our prayers because there's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in our in our neighborhoods, and we need to be aware of it all. So let's be vigilant and let's stay true to our Lord and recognize that well, at the end of the day, if our Lord was persecuted, the servant is not greater than his master. So we, too, will be persecuted. We'll be right back with more after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who did God use to get John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's your choices. Could it have been Simeon or St. Joseph or maybe an unknown prophet? Maybe Jesus. Who was it? Your answer in a moment. Secondly, so what methods do we see in the New Testament for Christians receiving the Holy Spirit? Well, it was usually through the laying on of hands. Peter and John laid hands on those in Samaria. St. Paul laid hands on those believers in Ephesus. Prior to that, we see Jesus merely breathing on the apostles. So here's your answer. A greeting. Yes, a greeting. You see, after Gabriel's powerful annunciation to the Virgin Mary, a simple, profound greeting from Mary to Elizabeth caused John the Baptist to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, he leaped in her womb. Now, to all my daring Pentecostal church friends, no matter how much you pray in tongues over someone, this method won't work. Why? Because it's not a method. It was the divine team of the Blessed Trinity, Gabriel, Mary, and Elizabeth. And that, my friend, will not happen again. Hi, this is Dr. David Anders from EWTN's Call to Communion. 
I believe that the ministry of Catholic Radio is one of the greatest tools we have in the church for evangelism today. I hear from people all over the world on a daily basis who have encountered Christ in the Catholic Church for the first time by listening to Catholic Radio. Please support the ministry of Catholic Radio today. Support Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Monday, April 3rd, 2023, the year of our Lord. And these are your headlines for today. Catholic News News Agency reports Kentucky lawmakers passed a comprehensive bill that prohibits doctors from providing sex changes for children, prevents schools from pushing transgender ideology onto students, and grants parents more authority and oversight over their children in the public education system. Following Democratic Governor Andy Beshear's veto of this legislation, Republican lawmakers successfully overrode his veto. Crux reports with tensions in Israel increasing as the Easter holiday approaches. Christian leaders in the country have lamented an uptick in violence and made an appeal to national leaders to collaborate and put an end to discrimination. They pointed to an ex- escalation of violence which they said has engulfed the Holy Land in recent months, noting that local Christians in particular have increasingly suffered adversities similar to the ones about which St. Peter wrote. The Associated Press reports Secretary of State Anthony Blinken urged his Russian counterpart in a rare phone call between the diplomats since the Ukraine war to immediately release a Wall Street Journal reporter who was detained last week as well as another imprisoned American, Paul Whelan, the State Department said yesterday. In the call with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov, Blinken conveyed grave concern over the Kremlin's detention of journalist Evan Gershevich on espionage allegations, according to a State Department summary. Blinken also sought the immediate release of Whelan, from whom the statement said was wrongfully detained. U.S. officials say they were considering a similar determination for Gushkovich that couldn't be made at any time. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. You know, so many things are were happening on, on the border and so we invited uh, Todd Benzman he is a renowned national security expert author and journalist with extensive expertise covering major national security issues he is currently the senior national security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies and has testified before Congress on border security and immigration matters uh, thank you very much Mr. Benzman for joining us good to be here thank you for having me Absolutely. You know, a lot of these things, I was listening to a lot of what you were had to say publicly on YouTube and things like that. And I was actually really surprised because I, I, I'm i here in Texas. I think that I pretty stay up to date with a lot of these what's going on around the border. And I was actually very surprised by whenever you were talking about how there was a decisive change in what was happening at the border at the moment that, in the, I'm very, very careful about the word I'm going to use here, whenever Biden was announced the winner of the election, not before he took office, but when he was announced the winner of the election, that there was so many things that changed at the border that were things that I just assumed it was kind of just always like that. Uh, tell me about that uh, before we, uh, as a kind of a starting point. Sure. Well, as I discuss at length in the book, 
the driving motivating factor for triggering journeys to the border among immigrants or aspiring immigrants is what the politicians are saying and then what they're doing. Uh, if you want to come to the American border, typically you have to drop a fortune, $5,000, $10,000 for your family, uh, even more. You have to borrow that money. And before you drop that money on the felt, uh, you want to know for sure that you are going to get in and that you will be able to stay in and recoup your, your investment. That's really what it's all about. How do I know this? Because I speak to immigrants all the time on their way. What made you decide to come now? Why now? Uh, and they're saying, well, we're getting in now. Uh, so what happened was they began to come long before Biden, actually before Biden was even, uh, when he, before he even won the nomination, I was in Tapachula in January, February of 2020, uh, when Democrats were on the debate stages. There were 10, 15 of them, if you recall, and every single one of them was talking about how they were going to open the border, how they were going to bring in far more people than the next guy. Uh, remember, you know, raise your hand if you're going to give free health care, raise your hand if you're going to decriminalize border entry. And I went down and discovered that they started coming in for that. They didn't care which Democrat was going to win, just that they figured Trump was going to lose. And one of those people was going to win. And that's when you can start to see the uh, apprehension data start to go up. Uh, and it just kept climbing and climbing and climbing. And then when Biden was actually nominated on his platform with Kamala Harris, they flooded toward the border and began to wait for Inauguration Day. Yeah, that is very concerning, the fact that that happened. And the fact that the you had mentioned the that the Mexican government had law, trigger laws, ready to take place if Joe Biden was elected. And that they that it was like a, a secret law. Like I, I like maybe that's a normal thing in in Mexico. I don't. I'm not. I don't know nothing about Mexican pol internal Mexican politics. But I would be absolutely scandalized if something like that happened here in the U.S. And maybe it does happen. I'm just unaware of it. Where secret laws are passed and no one knows about it until they take effect. It's absolutely true. They were able to get away with this without uh, informing the Trump administration. Uh, here's here's really what was going on. Remember that that in the time before Biden entered office, Trump was pushing back hundreds of thousands of uh, tens of thousands of family units and unaccompanied minors and everybody under Title 42 for the pandemic and the and remain in Mexico before that. And the Mexicans were stuck with them uh, and had to care for, under their laws for uh, women and children and vulnerable populations in their detention centers, which all filled up, very expensive, very headachy, the whole thing. When they saw that Biden was going to win, they started they started to write a law to prepare a law. And within 72 hours of our election, they passed that law. They actually passed this law that required the Mexican government to release everybody in their detention centers. And they they set they tr set that trigger for 60 days into the transition period uh, before Trump took or left office, and they pulled that trigger 60 days in, and they flooded out of the detention centers and headed to the border. 
Uh, how do we know a lot about why it was a surprise? Uh, because I interviewed the ambassador, uh, the U.S. ambassador to, the, to Mexico, who described for me learning about this from a staffer rather than from his counterparts in the Mexican diplomatic service as normal and was very upset and wound up about this, but it was too late. That was the whole point. It was a fate accompli. All of these families, unaccompanied minors, uh, rushed to the border. And so on Inauguration Day, they flooded in uh, under that uh, after being released from Mexican detention. And that never ended to this day. We're in the third year of it now. Unaccompanied minors, women and children, and you know, um, to the point of a unaccompanied minors, I was actually surprised by that as well, because you had mentioned that the whole crisis of unaccompanied minors coming over is a fairly new thing that it was not even tracked before because the numbers were so low that it wasn't really a, a statistic worth tracking. Tell me about that. Yes, it's true. Uh, unaccompanied minors was never really a thing <clears throat> until about 2018, 2019. There is a loophole in uh, a court case created a loophole that meant that uh, the American government cannot uh, hold uh, minors in detention for longer than three weeks. And when news of that got out broadly in, during Trump administration, uh, we started to see family groups and unaccompanied minors flood over the border to take advantage of this required release. Uh, then, you know, under the pandemic, you know, Trump was like turning them all back. And so it put an end to the unaccompanied minor crisis. Uh, but when the Biden administration came into office on the first day, the very first exemptions that they opened up were for unaccompanied minors. And he, they said it out loud at press conferences and in public uh, meetings and uh, under reporters' questions, we will not let unaccompanied minors uh, starve to death in Mexico, went one of them. Well, like I said before, the entire world listens to every utterance uh, coming out of American politicians' mouths. And when they heard that, uh, they came rolling in. Uh, and crossing that border to, to, to date, we've had about 350,000, used to be a couple dozen a year maybe, if that, 350,000 so far in the last 24, 28 months, responding yeah. to the exemption. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. And especially since, you know, I don't know why, it's just so strange to me because I feel like I've just heard the term unaccompanied minors heard all these things happening for as long as I can possibly remember. But you're saying that it really became a thing in 2018 and really became massive very recently. And I, I'm just so shocked by, by the fact that the, the narrative that's being pushed is, is so pervasive that, you know, I was hearing this and I, I was personally very shocked because I was thinking, I hear, I feel like I, this is something that is, that I've been hearing since I was a child. Uh, but it seems not to be the case. We're going to go to a break. When we come back, I have much more to talk about. One thing is I want to talk about what's actually coming over the border, weapons, drugs, those kind of things. And also, who are the people who are coming over? Are they all people from Mexico or are they from other places around the world? All this and more after this. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. I would imagine your pastor preaches from the text which says, We preach Jesus Christ crucified. So then, where's the crucifix in your church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Under the dread of persecution and death, the crucifix was displayed at Mass, but with great caution due to the threats of the Roman emperors and the pagan haters of Christianity. Traveling up through time, Pope Pius V in 1570 made it mandatory to display a crucifix in every church. Secondly, the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1 says, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block. You see, there was never any embarrassment of his corpse. In fact, two men of great renown, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, boldly handled the dead body of Jesus. And thirdly, my comeback. You see, at times, the early church held mass in the catacombs to honor the shed blood of the brave martyrs. Sad to say, many contemporary churches don't even have a cross in their church, let alone a crucifix. Also, could a crucifix on your neck cause others to think you are Catholic? St. Peter, it must have been horrible when you heard that rooster crow. Donnie, what are the mysteries that we pray on the rosary? Glorious, luminous, joyful, and powerful. There you go. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome back to the Catholic Dry Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's so good to be on with you today. It's always a good day to be here on Catholic Radio. Praise be to God. Now, joining me right now is author Todd Benzman. We're talking about his books, uh, Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History, and Americans' Covert Border War, The Untold Story of the Nation's Battle to Prevent Jihadist Infiltration, uh, both these books uh, are the topic of today's conversation because, you know, one thing that I found very interesting when I talk to people, just generally speaking, I talk to people, especially among Catholics, it's very interesting because we're, we talk about people coming over the border and, you know, at my parish, I go to a traditional Latin mass parish and like the, probably like 65% of the parish are, are Hispanics or Mexicans. And so we meet a lot of very traditional Catholics who are Mexicans. And so people hear, oh, the Mexicans are coming over the border. Oh, yeah, it's not good. The people are breaking the laws. But they're good Catholics uh, from Mexico are the people who are coming over the border. So really, should we be that worried about it? But that's not doesn't seem to be the case that it's Mexicans necessarily who are coming over the border. It seems to be that Mexico is just a, a pit stop from a lot of other people and a lot of other things. Uh, Mr. Todd Bensman, thank you for joining us. Uh, what do you what do you, you discover about this? Well, one of many records that this mass migration crisis has just smashed is the percentage of people that are not Mexican or Central American that are reaching the border. Uh, it is north now of 40%, 43% of everybody reaching that border are from 150 other countries around the world. Uh, remember, when the politicians started talking about opening the border and then did so, the entire world heard that clarion call, that siren call to come. Uh, now is the time to to put your $20,000 down and gamble that you're going to get in because you're getting in. They're letting you in. The Americans are letting you in. So, uh, you know, I have met uh, immigrants from just about every country on the continent of Africa. Uh, I've met uh, immigrants from every country of the Middle East, uh, Muslim-majority countries, 
people from Syria, Iraq, Iran, Lebanon, uh, Mauritania, Senegal, Somalia. Uh, these are not definitely not all Christians coming across. It's a, a very, very diverse array of people that are reaching the southern border and being allowed in. Right now, we've got a huge number of Chinese nationals uh, coming through, uh, reaching the border. And just to give you an idea of like how huge this ma- this migration crisis is, is uh, there is a passage in the jungle between Colombia and Panama called the Darien Gap. You can Google this. Uh, and the numbers that have typically crossed through there on their way was always less than 10,000. Last year, it was more than 240,000. 240,000 compared to 10,000 in a typical year. This year, it's said to be, it's going to be 400,000 they're on track. I mean, these numbers are just absolutely astronomical uh, coming in from the entire world to take advantage of these huge openings uh, and these policies that are letting people in. Uh, and, And not a few of them have been on the FBI's terrorism watch list. 168 on the FBI's terrorism watch list last year, 69 just so far in 2023. Uh, That is a huge number, a record-breaking number of people who are already on the FBI's terrorism watch list. A million and a half people have gotten into the American interior undetected, at least. Those are called gotaways. How many of those FBI watch listed people didn't get apprehended is the big question. No, that's a that's a great point, especially since, you know, when you first hear that, it's like, oh, the we apprehended oh, no, 200 uh, people on the terrorist watch list in the last two years. Isn't that great? Um, however, whenever you you kind of you think about it for a second, you realize how many did we not catch? And two, why was it necessary to catch them? I think that's a very concerning situation. Uh, what do we think about? Do we know? Uh, do we have a? I mean, it's hard to know what you don't know, right? But do we have a estimate of how many people may have gotten through that really are are bad guys? Well, <clears throat> nobody keeps track of this. I don't think we want to know as a nation. The federal government does keep some semblance of uh, statistics on deportations of criminal aliens. But those numbers are way, way down. They're down 70, 80%. Remember, one of the very first things the Biden administration did when it entered office was they eliminated interior deportation. Uh, They essentially abolished ICE on paper, just like they said they wanted to and that they would. And so the numbers of people that are being uh, deported has plummeted to record low levels. We've never had this few uh, criminal aliens uh, since we've been keeping records uh, deported. But what we do know is uh, that the kind of immigrants that are running that won't qualify for these giant exemptions, uh, they're going to be typically people with criminal histories. That pool will be heavily contaminated with people with criminal histories. So the million and a half gotaways that I mentioned earlier We'll have a very high concentration of criminals, people that have already been convicted in the U.S. that got deported, coming back, people that were convicted in their home countries, uh, just coming through, uh, you know, worried about getting uh, flagging on a on a database somewhere. So that is a definite concern. Rapists, child molesters, 
uh, every kind of uh, murderer uh, has been caught coming through. And so we have to assume that for every one of those, somebody in that category got through or more got into the American interior. Uh, we think that, that there are about five plus million people that have actually entered the country, have been allowed in, women, children, not all criminals, uh, but plenty of criminals that have gotten in on their own. Uh, this is not a good thing. We are going to be living with the, the consequences of this for many, many years. What about uh, drugs and weapons? We see, uh, we just saw a report last week about the these new, what people are labeling the, the zombie drug um, being coming over through China to Mexico, then to America. Uh, what do we know about the, the drug and weapons problem coming through the border? Well, I, I typically don't connect the drug trafficking to the mass migration crisis. Uh, I do believe fentanyl and, and these deadly drugs would probably find their way in whether we had a mass migration crisis or not. But I do believe that when you have these kind of volumes, that it breaks down the defensive line, the, the bulwarks that normally catch some of this stuff. So I do believe that probably we have more fentanyl, more cocaine, more heroin, more kinds of uh, contraband, unwanted contraband coming through. Remember, when they when the administration opened the gates to women and children and unaccompanied minors, those people came in by the tens of thousands uh, a month, 50,000 a month, uh, and had to be processed. They just turned themselves in. And so you had to pull Border Patrol off the line for 100 miles permanently to do administrative processing duty bringing them into the United States. Uh, that left huge swaths of border relatively unguarded. And I think the cartels took advantage of that. We have to assume that probably more drugs got in uh, than would have gotten in otherwise. But I, I wouldn't say that the mass migration crisis is the cause mm. of that. that. That will always exist no matter how many people are coming through, unfortunately. Uh, without some other kind of policies. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, uh, one other thing that I was just thinking about is the the problem with, I mean, the people I try to say that this is a conspiracy theory, and I don't know how true or not true it is, but this idea of what people call the Great Replacement uh, saying, okay, well, they want they want all these people to come to America so they can replace the voting bloc. And we we see this because, you know, the the Cubans who come over, they're not people are not for even though because the Cubans tend to vote more conservatively, whereas people who come across the Mexican border uh, tend to do otherwise. I don't know how true or not true this is, but I guess the question is, why is it that the that certain people in the in the U.S. government seem to want this massive migration crisis? That's probably the most asked question that I feel. Why are they doing? Nobody understands. Like, you know, it's it's just, why are they doing this, Todd? Why would they do this? Because uh, the, tr the Democratic Party traditionally uh, has been pretty hawkish on the border. Uh, you know, Bill Clinton, uh, they used to call Obama the deporter in chief, that sort of thing. But this uh, very, very fringe, hard left, uh, strand of the Democratic Party coalition rose to power 
in this Biden White House. And uh, that had to do with electoral uh, need uh, to be able to, to, to emerge from such a crowded field of Democrats uh, running for office. But, but nevertheless, they were given the immigration portfolio and they come from a, a, a very unusual ideology, which just holds that immigration enforcement is uh, immoral. And they liken it to, you know, the Nazi concentration camps and Nazi guards. And uh, they have an ideology that holds that the world should be borderless. No human is illegal, that sort of thing, and, and that it's immoral to do this. But I have a more, uh, I guess, base r- uh, reason that I think that they're doing it. And that is that those people come from, they're in the advisory roles and positions in the White House, State Department. They come from the migrant advocacy, NGO, non-governmental organization uh, world. Uh, there's an industrial complex of, of that. And when you have mass migrations like this, they get government contracts, $100 million uh, for Catholic charities, uh, I might add. And lots of other religious organizations and church groups uh, are just being um, overwhelmed with cash, government cash. And those that aren't getting contracts to partner with the U.S. government to bring everybody in uh, are still able to go out and fundraise on the retail market. Look what we're doing. Look at the good things we're doing. Give us money. We need your money right now. Look at this poor, cute little Haitian child kind of a thing poster child. Uh, So I think that a lot of the people that are in office are greasing the skids for their organizations. Everybody's getting paid. No, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's classic. Follow the money. But that's going to do it for today. Thank you, Mr. Todd Bensman, for being on with us. We'll have to have you back uh, talk more about what on earth people are doing on on the border. But God bless you. God love you. Have a great day. Anytime. Thank you. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for the first hour of Catholic Drive Time. Stay with us. We're going to talk Holy Week coming up in the next segment. And plus, our game show, Fear and Trembling. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more after this. Our family had been going through a crisis. Little by little, we just found ourselves drifting completely away. I was afraid to go back. I mean, I cried the first time I received the sacraments again. Cried because I was back and because I had allowed God to become a part of me again. It's united our family. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. What's the primary reason you chose your present church? Doctrinal positions, your family's church, the pastor, church friendliness, dynamic youth ministry? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, statistics. A survey showed that 87% of those who attend a non-Catholic church choose their church because of the senior pastor's sermons. Secondly, the reason for Catholics, this comes from Canon Law 518, which says, as a general rule, a parish is to be one which includes all the Christian faithful of a certain territory. 
And thirdly, my response. The average span of a mature Christian staying at a non-denominational church is between 18 and 24 months. Why such a short time? You know the reason. They came because we love the pastor and his sermons. He's so relatable and so current. Whoops, now they're tired of relatable and current, so just go down the street. They found some new relatable and current. Oh, the alluring draw of charisma. Fortunately, at a Catholic church, the sermon is not the central moment. Do you know what is the central moment? Body and blood. It's to truly save souls. It's to save souls and we have a lot of different media platforms, whether it's through our TV, radio, music, and it's all promoting this culture that is really here to kill, still, and destroy souls. And to have that Catholic voice on the air that is proclaiming the good news and able to touch and transform lives, um, what better thing to support? The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Boldly proclaiming the truths of our Catholic faith. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Jessica Idolet from Prince of Peace. You're listening to AM 1430, KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. Happy Holy Week to you, or maybe I should say penitential Holy Week to you, or maybe sad Holy Week to you. I'm not sure. What's the, what's the best greeting for Holy Week? Someone let me know. I'd be, I'd be curious of how you greet people during Holy Week. Today is Holy Monday. Monday in Holy Week, sometimes referred to as Fig Monday, marks our first steps towards Calvary, wherein with St. Mary Magdalene, we bathe our Lord, his feet with tears of dread and anticipation of the suffering he will undergo for us in his passion. Think about that today. Undergoing suffering today. Maybe weep with tears. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, maybe happy uh, Holy Week is not the right thing to say. Blessed Holy Week. Tammy says, blessed Holy Week to you guys. And I think that's probably the best way to say it. Blessed Holy Week to you. Yeah. Because... Yeah, we should be we should be in tears. We should be in sackcloth and ashes this week. This week is unlike any other week. I want to read to you something from Adrian Fortescue. Adrian Fortescue is actually a descendant of Saint Adrian Fortescue, a martyr, and he was a English layperson who wrote extensively on the liturgy. And he wrote commentaries on liturgy. He also wrote the rubrics. He wrote a, a how-to, basically, of the rubrics. He also did a history of the Roman Rite. So he was very, very prolific on the liturgies, is the point. Here he writes about the commentary on the most sacred functions of Holy Week. He says here, Holy Week is the most fruitful and August time of the year in the celebration of the church. During this week, the wicked from every side assaulted the just one who was against their plans. They subjected him to harsh trials of ill treatment, immolating him in, end, in the end on a cross. During this time, the clouds vanished and the light appeared. The representation ended and the one represented was known. It became manifest who was the true Abel condemned to death, the true Job abandoned to the spite of his enemies, the Isaac guided by paternal hand to the Moriah in sacrifice, the Jonas swallowed by the sea monster, and after three days returned alive to the shore. 
The fiery furnace which let the three youths out of its bosom untouched. And finally the true ark which offers in the universal deluge the only escape for the human race. This is the blessed time which separated the law of severity from the law of grace, which accomplished that of which the voices of the prophets had sung hundreds of years before, which abolished the, the, the parochial synagogue and gave birth to the universal church, which saw the institution of the most august of the sacraments and the fulfillment of what is most sublime and most tender of those, which the most provincial, providential God had established for human nature, miserably outraged by the sin of the first man. It is no wonder then that the Catholic Church in this precious time uses more elaborate ceremony, deeper piety and veneration, and more numerous and salutary institutions and practices than in all the rest of the year. Holy Mother Church in this week blesses and renews the oil that must sanctify her temples and consecrates her ministers. She cleans the altars on which she offers every day the flesh of the Immaculate Lamb, which nourishes and sanctifies her. She blesses and renews the water which must render her fruitful and the fire which must enlighten her. This loving mother did not hold back any care in preparing her children to celebrate worthily the death and resurrection of the Savior and making them worthy of the immense fruits of this mystery. The celebration of Holy Week is most ancient, so much so that we find it mentioned in the apostolic constitutions no later than the 3rd century. That's the 200s. And in the works of the Holy Fathers, which flourish in the 4th century, we find it distinguished with pious names, according to the mysteries and ceremonies with which it was celebrated. Among these, we remember that of the Great Week, as St. John Chrysostom calls it, the greatest week, that is, the most august of all the weeks of the year, the week of indulgence for the reconciliation of sinners, and the baptism of the catechumens, which happened during the course of the week, the week of toil and hardship for the austerities exercised by the faithful, the last week because it puts an end to the penance of Lent, the authentic week, or the week of the Lord for being the week which belongs entirely to the Lord, and lastly, Holy Week par excellence, because of the sanctity of the mysteries and the sublimity of the sacred functions celebrated in it. Now, so much more could be said about Holy Week, and he writes, he goes on for another like four or five pages. I just read one page to you guys, and he has a commentary in each day for Holy Week, and I'm just blown away by this. I'm just absolutely blown away. Holy Week is so amazing, and how, how, much, how many of us celebrate it correctly? How many of us try to get off of work how many of us try to you know, set aside time and go to, go to daily mass, go to daily confession, or at least confession sometime during the week, uh, go to Station of the Cross maybe every day this week, some kind of act of penance. I know I'm doing the, the Seven Sorrows Rosary, adding that to, my, to everything else I'm doing already, and I'm going to start reading it. If I can't make it to mass, I'm going to be reading the the commentaries of every single day. I'm going to read all the, the liturgy at the very least if I can't make it to Mass. But let's try very much so this week to try to set aside this week and recognize it as holy, as set aside, as a week entirely the Lord's. I was talking to this in the same Puerto Rican guy I was talking about earlier. He was telling me how he's like, oh, yeah, in Puerto Rico, the entire week. They, they, everyone's off of work, all the businesses shut down, and school's out, it's like spring break, 
And Ariel was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. That must be such a, such a great time. He goes, yeah, we all go to the beach and we gar- start barbecuing. And I was like, y'all eat meat? He's like, oh, he's like, oh, yeah, we're not supposed to eat meat, but, but we go barbecue. And they treat it like all these great Catholic countries, these Catholic, these countries that once was Catholic, they would get the entirety of Holy Week off. But now, because of the secularization of the countries, they don't use the fact that it's Holy Week to set aside that time, to set aside the time of, of a day of a week off from work. Imagine that. You get a free week off of work. Imagine if you got that. That's insane to, a, to the American mind. They get that whole week off, and it was set aside for the glory of God. And now they just treat it as a, a party week. It's very, very sad to see, but... I'm going to make a decisive effort this week to try to set aside time for for our Lord because I, I think I don't do enough. I usually set aside the Triduum Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for our Lord, but I, I barely ever treat from Palm Sunday until Thursday. Hardly ever. Hardly ever. And that's a great defect, and I seek to try to remedy that this year. But it, it's uh, something that's been touching my heart. I've been reading through this, and I've been reading the commentaries on on the way Holy Week was done in the past, and and I just feel like the, this week is so special. It's so dedicated to our Lord. We have so many things going on, so much news, so much bad news, so many things. And the answer, the answer is our Lord. The answer is our Lord crucified, scourged, with the crown of thorns piercing through his skull so much so that it said that it pierced into his brain. And all we can do is focus on work. All we can do is be hasty and go from one task to the next task. Let's set aside some time and calm down, slow down and meditate on what a great gift our Lord gave to us. That he presented himself bruised, beaten, scourged. And we barely can give him one day, Easter Sunday. And I was talking uh, to a a priest friend of mine over the weekend. And he was telling me, he's like, yeah, one thing that I just cannot, I just cannot get behind is how many times I hear from the laity. Oh, I uh, could you, oh, Father, would you do this service? Oh, would you do the divine office at church so we can participate with you? Oh, can you do this thing? Can you have this task at the church? And he said, all right, all right. And he does it. But then the same people who request it are too busy with work, with the family things, with whatever it is, and they don't show up and nobody's there. And he's he says, you know, I... They ask so much of us, and then nobody shows up. Make a sacrifice this Holy Week. Show up to the things that are going on at the parish and encourage Father. Uh, Be the person who shows up and says, hey, Father, not only will I show up, but I want to help. How can I help? Set aside some time. Make this week a week where you're spending it mostly for the glory of God. That is incredible. They go to the beach for Holy Week, but... Like like most formerly Catholic countries, Western Europe especially, they, they have one and a half or two months of vacation time. And I would say 95% of those holidays are actually holy days. 
And I can understand those feast days going out and celebrating, but yes, for, for Holy Week going out to the beach and, and uh, barbecuing, I, I think what uh, my wife and I are, are going to probably uh, think of doing is go daily to adoration for an hour and, uh, and, and, and bring a spiritual book with us, something to read later uh, in, in front of the tabernacle after adoration and just contemplate. I'm just curious. I, I know we say this a lot about uh, transitioning, about sackcloths and ash, but does anyone actually have a sackcloth? I'm, I don't. I, I was wondering where we could get one, or we just go to a, a farm. A potato and, sack. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just cut open a potato sack and put it over. There we go. Put a uh, yeah, cut open a potato sack and put it over. Those got to be the most uncomfortable things to wear and imagine saints wearing that underneath their vestments not telling anyone i've heard so many stories of of very holy people on upon their deathbed when the nuns or the brothers or the monks would come over and and begin preparing them for for burial for funeral sometimes they would discover a hair shirt or, or a potato sack underneath their vestments and their chests are just mutilated beyond recognition and I don't know if I can even contemplate doing that myself. Yeah, I mean, I, it would be definitely be rough. I've never done something like that, but you know, the the great saints did it, the children of Fatima did it, and you know, I think I think we become so soft that people think that if they have any inclination of doing something difficult, they think that they're being scrupulous. And I've noticed this a lot. And I talked to Ryan Grant about this one time. I actually. It was one of it was we did an interview with them, and I think it was the beginning of February, where I had Ryan Grant on, and we were chatting, and we were talking about this exact issue of scrupulosity, and this applies to not just our sins but also in our devotions. They say, "Oh, you know, I don't want to be too austere." It's like, don't worry. The chances are, if you're living in the 21st century, and you are living in America. You're not doing something too austere. And I keep that and I keep myself in that. Like unless you're scourging yourself to blood, you're probably not doing something too austere. If you put a hair shirt on, if you put a sackcloth on underneath your clothes or something like that, I you don't need to ask a priest. It's not gonna kill you. It's not gonna even hurt you. It's gonna just give you a very itchy something it's very itchy to wear, might irritate your skin, but it's you you're not gonna it's not gonna kill you. So we really don't have, live in a situation where we have that those kind of things where it's like, oh, i got to ask my priest, and you're, the priest is going to tell you no. Like 99% <laughs> of times, you're like, oh, you don't need to do that. Uh, just do small things with great love, which, I mean, yeah, that's true. That's true. But there's a time and a place to do things that are hard. And if we're going to do something hard, this is the week to do it. So if you ever felt compelled to do something difficult, let this be the week to do it. Maybe put a rock in your shoe the whole week and walk around with that. It'd be very uncomfortable. It'd be something that no one else notices but you. Just drop a pebble in your shoe and, and walk around all day with it. Or do like the Fatima children did. And, and during the day, because Our Lady said, Our Lord this is, a, is a pleased with what you're doing, but you can take it off during when you go to bed. Uh, wearing a, a rope around the waist during the day. Uh, things like that. Small things. Or maybe fast a little bit more. I'm going to try to do a 40-hour fast uh, for the Triduum. Something like that. You can feel free to join me. Uh, but that's going to take us into our Fear and Trembling game show. You could be our contestant, 
877-757-9424. Remember, this week you have a higher chance of winning 877-757-9424. One more time, 877-757-9424. You could be the contestant on Fear and Tripling after this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to say some prayers for the souls in purgatory. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed often for those in purgatory? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. What is a fanatic? Well, have you ever heard someone defending animal rights as if they have completely forgotten about human rights? G.K. Chesterton says that is a perfect example of a fanatic. Someone with a sense of a particular truth that is too strong for his sense of the universal truth. He will invoke even cruelty to prevent cruelty to animals. Later, he may even invoke cruelty to animals to prevent cruelty to pit ponies. It is not merely that he has kept one thing and lost a thousand things. He has lost the basis even of the one thing. For a man cannot long remain right without a reason. We must accept all the universal truths so that we don't go off balance with one particular truth. And where do we find the perfect balance of all universal truths? In the Catholic Church. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Hey, Donnie, who was the first pope to whom Jesus said, You are the rock upon which I will build my church? St. Peter. And who is the current pope? Pope Francis. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424 That's the number to call to be part of the game show Fear and Trembling where you can win prizes and that number 877-757-9424 Remember this week there's only four days because on Good Friday it's going to be a pre-recorded show because we will be off celebrating the great feast of good friday so that day we will be off and so four days which means higher chance of you winning this week how is the game played you may ask well it's very simple i have three catholic trivia questions here and i don't ask you the questions instead i ask tito the questions and it's going to be his job to tell me an answer it's your job to tell me is he right or he's wrong so true or false That means there's a 50-50 chance of you being right each and every time. Even if you know nothing about the question, you have a 50-50 chance if you just guess. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Tito, what could they win? Thank you for asking, Adrian. 
The Fear and Trembling Prize for this week is a six-month subscription to the Wonderlust Catholic, valued at $36 from Annunciation Designs. With the Wonderlust Catholic subscription, each month subscribers will receive a hand-lettered and illustrated letter detailing the beauty and wonder of a piece of our Catholic faith. Annunciation Designs helps your family call to mind the sacred in the midst of the ordinary. Visit AnnunciationDesigns.com. Thank you very much, AnnunciationDesigns.com. That number to call if you want to be a contestant to win this week's prize from AnnunciationDesigns.com, you can call 877-757-9424. That number, 877-757-9424. And dial that number, and we take the first caller, and let me check over here. And right now, the phone lines are completely open. So the next person who calls in, who calls 877-757-9424, the next person to call that number will be the contestant for today. Uh, One more time, 877-757-9424. That's the number to be a contestant on this week's show, Fear and Trembling, giving away a prize from AnnunciationDesign.com. And praise be to God, the phone line just lit up. So if you don't get on today, then make sure you call back in tomorrow. Keep that number on speed dial. And remember, if you go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT, if you go to our website, Everything that about the game show is listed right there. So if you want to get to the, know the rules better, you want to be able to see what the phone number is and find out all the information that you would want about the game show, all you have to do is go to grnonline.com forward slash C-D-T-O. And while you're there, also sign up for our email list. That's grnonline.com forward slash C-D-T. All right, so now we are just waiting on Tito for to him for pick up the phone and get the uh, caller on the line. But once we do, we have our contestant for Fear and Trembling. So thank you to everybody who called in. We're very appreciative of you, even though, uh, let's see, we have uh, these trick, these questions here today, though. I got to admit, they, they seem like pretty uh, pretty difficult questions, if I, if I do say so myself. So we shall see how it goes. Uh, hopefully uh, the, the questions aren't too, too difficult. But I think, I'm thinking that our caller is going to be smart enough to get all three right, though. Even though these might be the trickiest questions we've ever had. Uh, joining us right now is Johnny. Good morning to you, Johnny. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Where are you calling from? San Antonio, Texas. San Antonio, Texas. The great, the great city of San Antonio and you know they, we get the the best the best contestants from San Antonio is what I've been told. Oh, thank you. I've been I've been reliably informed uh, that by uh, Sean Rice and by uh, and by our our vice president of the GRN. I've uh, been reliably informed that San Antonio has the best listeners. Um, though we shall see, we shall see. We'll have to have other people from other cities call in and try to disprove that theory. Uh, but where are you off to this morning? I am on my way to work, sir. Ah, praise be to God. And your your work, you're a uh, you you build uh, skyscrapers, is my guess. No, I'm a machinist. 
Oh, that's cool. Praise be to God. That's pretty awesome. Very nice. Uh, what What are you doing for Holy Week this week? Anything special going on for Holy Week? Uh, no, just spending time with my 93-year-old grandma. That's good. That's good. Praise be to God. All righty, Johnny. Are you familiar with how the game works? Yes, yes, I am familiar. I listen to it every day. Awesome. <laughs> Praise be to God. Well, let's jump into it then. We'll go to the first question. It goes to Tito. Uh, Tito, are you ready? I am ready. Okay, you're. you're in fact, I, I heard rumor that your your nickname is is Freddy. That's right. You read my um, mind. You read ready, my mind. Freddy. There I'm you ready, go, Freddy. Uh-huh. All right. Question number one. In the traditional rite of baptism, what is the first question asked of the godparents? Oh, that's tough. I, I really don't know. But uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, who are you? That's a, that's a good guess right there. I mean, yeah, I mean, the priest is going to show up and he's like, who are you? I, I, I don't want to just let anybody into the church. Who, exactly. who are you? That's a that's a good that's a good point. Okay, I see what you're going with there. That makes sense. I'm seeing the logic, but maybe just maybe he's being tricky. That's going to be Johnny's job to discern. Johnny, the question on the board in the traditional rite of baptism: What is the first question asked of the godparents? Now Tito seems to think the question is, "Who are you?" Well, that seems to make sense. He might be being tricky. I don't know. It's your job to tell me. 15 seconds on the clock. Is he right? Is he wrong? Is he telling you the truth? Is he trying to deceive you? What say you, Johnny? I say he's right. Are you sure you want to go with right? Nah, I say he's right. <laughs> he's a, are he's you saying you said never mind? You're changing it? Yeah, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with wrong. He's going with wrong. There you go, Johnny. Praise you to God. See, congratulations. You notice, you notice, Johnny did not hesitate to change his answer. That's how you know he's a he's a veteran listener. Yes, very wise man. Very, very good, Johnny. Very good. Making. Praise be to God. The correct answer is: What do you ask of the Church of God? That's the question that's asked to the godparents, and the answer tends to be. The faith or baptism, or there's a couple of answers that are that are acceptable answers. Uh, baptism is a very common one. The faith is another one. And those are the uh, the questions. So that's the question. What do you ask of the Church of God? All right. Are you ready for number two, Johnny? Yes, sir. Let's do it. The question number two. Okay. Which cardinal virtue gives us the courage to face dangers or hardships for the sake of what is right? What cardinal virtue? Cardinal virtue. Ah, ah, fortitude. Fortitude. Fortify. Fortitude it's a root to word know. for fort. Okay. Yes. Okay. You're saying fortitude is like courage. Correct. Okay. Very interesting. All righty, Johnny. The question on the board. This seems to be a very straightforward question. The question is, which cardinal virtue gives us the courage to face dangers or hardships for the sake of what is right? Well, Tito seems to think that the answer is fortitude. Johnny, what say you? Is he right? Is he wrong? Is he trying to deceive you? What say you? Fortitude, I would say he's right. He's going to say you're right. Hey, did you look at that, Johnny? Praise be to God. Easy peasy. You nailed it. You got the answer. The answer was, in fact, fortitude. It is the virtue that gives us the courage 
to do what is right. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. All righty, Johnny. Are you ready for question numero trace? Yes. Yes, that's actually uh, Cajun for uh, three. Uh, many people don't know that. Uh, the question is, what color vestments are worn on the Feast of a Virgin? Oh, well, when we when I got married, my wife wore white. I, I'm thinking for the Feast of the Virgin, uh, any virgin, it would be white. Interesting. So you're saying that wedding masses are, are Feast of Virgins? It should be sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. The... All right, Johnny, the question on the board. What color vestments are worn on the Feast of a Virgin? Well, Tito seems to think the answer is white. White is worn on the Feast of Virgins, any virgin. And what say you, Johnny? 15 seconds on the clock. Is he right? Is he wrong? Is he telling the truth? Is he trying to deceive you? What say you? The Catholic Church also is white. You're going to say yes, it is white? Yes. He's saying yes. There you go. Praise be to God. Congratulations. You nailed it. Praise be to God. You got you got three for three. Congratulations. Are you secretly a theologian on the side? No, sir. I'm a prisoner of Mission San Jose. Ah, oh, praise be to God. Mission San Jose. I, I've always wanted to go. You know, I've always wanted to do a pilgrimage to all the missions. I have yet to do so one day. I've been to most of the missions, but... I've never done the pilgrimage to all the missions. Have you ever done, uh, the, do y'all do that in San Antonio? Like, a, Is that a yearly thing or something like that? Yes, sir, they do. That's awesome. Well, maybe next year I'll make a pilgrimage out there and, and join y'all and hit up all the missions. That'd be kind of a good time. But congratulations, Johnny. Stay on the line. Tito's going to get your information. So should we draw your name on Friday or rather Thursday? Should we draw your name on Thursday? Then we can send you the prize. So make sure you stay on the line. But if not, uh, but it, that'll do it. So have a blessed Holy Week to you, my friend. You too, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Stay on the line. And that's going to do it for today. That's going to do it for Catholic Drive Time Show. If you can join us in the after show, hop on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, and we can talk more about Holy Week. We can talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about. Just let us know. I'd be very interested in uh, how y'all's weekend went. Yeah, I saw a lot of cool pictures going on. And we'll talk more. But if not, we'll see you back tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the GRN. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. carne <laughs> 
Suspensusest patibulo Quo voneratus in super Mucrone di hero Ud nos labarer crimine Manavitunda et sanguine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Let us pray. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that though in our weakness we fail, we may be revived through the passion of your only begotten Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one with whom I am pleased, upon whom I have put my spirit. He shall bring forth justice to the nations, not crying out, not shouting, not making his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break, and a smoldering wick he shall not quench, until he establishes justice on the earth. The coastlands will wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with its crops, who gives breath to its people and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you for the victory of justice. I have grasped you by the hand. I have formed you and set you as a covenant of the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from confinement and from the dungeon those who live in darkness. The word of the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom should I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. When evildoers come at me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies themselves stumble and fall. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war be waged upon me, even then will I trust. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I believe that I shall see the bounty of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord with courage. Be stout-hearted and wait for the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Praise. 
Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Hail to you, our King. You alone are compassionate with our faults. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, Lord. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served, while Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. Mary took a liter of costly perfumed oil made from genuine aromatic nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and dried them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then Judas the Iscariot, one of his disciples, and the one who would betray him, said, Why was this oil not sold for three hundred days' wages and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and he held the money bag and used to steal the contributions. So Jesus said, Leave her alone. Let her keep this for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews found out where he was, was, that he was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And the chief priests plotted to kill Lazarus too, because many of the Jews were turning away and believing in Jesus because of him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus During this beautiful time of Holy Week, the first reading are take, readings are taken from the book of the prophet Isaiah, particularly the oracles that refer to Jesus as the servant, the suffering servant of the Lord. So here we hear the one, uh, the one that he will not come, not crying out, not shouting, not making his voice heard in the street, but the one who has, what has opened the eyes of the blind, brings out prisoners from confinement and from the dungeon those who live in darkness a responsorial psalm that the Lord is my light and my salvation is significant because in the gospel, although the detail in St. John's gospel is not there, but that Mary brings an alabaster jar of oil. And alabaster has a unique, very, a very unique quality. Is that alabaster has the has a, has a quality of, in a way, um, how do you say, absorbing light, but then reflecting it by diffusing it. So Mary, like us, we receive that light, Jesus being that light. And then that light, which is also, we could, we could, God is light, he is love, then is diffused out from us. Just like the, the, the perfume of this ointment fills the entire room. Ultimately in the gospel, there's a contrast between what our, holy, what our late Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI, called the law of superabundance with a kind of stringent or very constricted way of living. So for Mary, she takes this very costly ointment, and she, she was, she was going to pour, I think, the whole thing on Jesus' feet and dry it with her hair. 
in a way you could you could sum it up in saying spare she was going to spare no expense <laughs> taking this costly step for Jesus out of love because she of course had been freed of her sins she of course had been freed from uh, from the enemy and so there's this act of love for Jesus saving of course for for his burial of anointing his feet so she takes this costly perfumed oil and spreads it all over his feet and said that it's, it, it fills the entire room. There is this, as our Holy Father, Holy, Father, Holy Father said, this law of superabundance. When you see how God acts, even from the very first moment of creation all the way through the book of Genesis, it is this law of superabundance that God just pours out everything for us. And we know from, from yesterday, from the Passion account, that God pours out his life, everything, in Jesus Christ for our salvation. He spares no expense for us. And Mary has imbibed that. She got it. In comparison to that is, of course, Judas, who wants to, you know, he wants to kind of try to rub a few nickels together. Of course, he want, he's a thief, right? He's very, he's very stringent. Uh, why was this not sold for this, for that? Because he wanted to keep the money. A hoarder. <laughs> he wanted it for himself. See, the difference is that Mary is, is, is a life like Jesus that is poured out. And Judas is a life which sort of begins to sort of cave in on itself. And that really is the difference between living in that law, under that law of superabundance, or living in the law of, I don't know what you call it, being stringent. We all, that, that it really is that difference, or that conversion from being for me, for being for another. And Mary has got it. And that's why we're presenting this beautiful gospel this way. She not only wanted to be in the presence of the light and of love, which is Jesus Christ, but then also to diffuse that, recognizing that love is diffusive of itself. As we continue in this journey of Holy Week, let us ask the Lord to give us the grace to be able to pour out our life in love for him and for our neighbor, that we may, as St. Paul says, become a fragrant, the fragrance of Christ, the aroma of Christ, just as Mary found out that secret by being in Jesus' presence and anointing his feet with his costly perfumed oil. In this time of the Lord's Passion, when Christ offered prayers and supplications to his Father with loud cries and tears, let us humbly beseech God that in answer to his Son's reverent submission, he may in mercy hear our prayers also. That the Church, the Bride of Christ, may be more fully cleansed by his blood in this time of his Passion, let us pray to the Lord. That through the blood of Christ's cross, all things in the world may be brought to peace for the sake of salvation. Let us pray to the Lord. That God may grant fortitude and patience to all who, through sickness or hardship, have a share in Christ's passion. Let us pray to the Lord. That we may all be led through the Lord's passion and cross to the glory of the resurrection. Let us pray to the Lord. the intentions that we hold in our hearts for those who are joining us online through Guadalupe Radio, for those uh, who are enrolled in our Salt Mass Association, 
for all these intentions, let us pray to the Lord. Be present, O Lord, to your people at prayer, so that what they do not have the confidence or presumption to ask, they may obtain by the merits of your Son's passion, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands. It will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Look graciously, O Lord, upon the sacred mysteries we celebrate here, and may what you have mercifully provided to cancel the judgment we incurred bear for us fruit in eternal life through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For the days of his saving passion and glorious resurrection are approaching, by which the pride of the ancient foe is vanquished, and the mystery of our redemption in Christ is celebrated. Through him the hosts of angels adores your majesty, and rejoices in your presence forever. May our voices, we pray, join with theirs in one chorus of exultant praise as we acclaim Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni Sunceli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, Hosanna in excelsis. 
To you, therefore, most merciful Father, we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, that you accept and bless these gifts, these offerings, these holy and unblemished sacrifices, which we offer you firstly for your holy Catholic Church. Be pleased to grant her peace, to guard, unite, and govern her throughout the whole world, together with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all those who, holding to the truth, hand on the Catholic and apostolic faith. Remember, Lord, your servants. And all gathered here whose faith and devotion are known to you, for them we offer you this sacrifice of praise, or they offer it for themselves and all who are dear to them, for the redemption of their souls in hope of health and well-being, and paying their homage to you, the eternal God, living and true. In communion with those whose memory we venerate, especially the glorious ever-Virgin Mary, Mother of our God and Lord, Jesus Christ, and blessed Joseph, her spouse, your blessed apostles and martyrs, Peter and Paul, Andrew, and all your saints, we ask that through their merits and prayers in all things we may be defended by your protecting help. Therefore, Lord, we pray, graciously accept this oblation of our service, that of your whole family. Order our days in your peace, and command that we be delivered from eternal damnation and counted among the flock of those you have chosen. Be pleased, O God, we pray, to bless, acknowledge, and approve this offering in every respect. Make it spiritual and acceptable, so that it may become for us the body and blood of your most beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. On the day before he was to suffer, he took bread in his holy and venerable hands, and with eyes raised to heaven, to you, O God, his almighty Father, giving you thanks. He said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took this precious chalice in his holy and venerable hands, and once more giving you thanks, he said the blessing and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world. For by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the blessed passion, the resurrection from the dead, and the glorious ascension into heaven, Christ, your Son, our Lord, we, your servants, and your holy people, offer to your glorious majesty from the gifts that you have given us, this pure victim, this holy victim, this spotless victim, the holy bread of eternal life and the chalice of everlasting salvation. Be pleased to look upon these offerings with a serene and kindly countenance and to accept them as once you were pleased to accept the gifts of your servant Abel the just, 
the sacrifice of Abraham, our father in faith, and the offering of your high priest Melchizedek, a holy sacrifice, a spotless victim. In humble prayer, we ask you, Almighty God, command that these gifts be borne by the hands of your holy angel to your altar on high in the sight of your divine majesty, so that all of us who through this participation at the altar receive the most holy body and blood of your Son may be filled with every grace and heavenly blessing. Remember also, Lord, your servants who have gone before us with the sign of faith and rest in the sleep of peace. Grant them, O Lord, we pray, and all who sleep in Christ, a place of refreshment, light, and peace. To us also, your servants, who those sinners, hope in your abundant mercies, graciously grant some share in fellowship with your holy apostles and martyrs, with John the Baptist, Stephen, Matthias, Barnabas, and all your saints. Admit us, we beseech you, into their company, not weighing our merits, but granting us your pardon through Christ our Lord, through whom you continue to make all these good things, O Lord, you sanctify them, fill them with life, bless them, bestow them upon us. Through him and with him and in him, O God, almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. <clears throat> and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope in the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. The sufferings are the sign of peace. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us peace. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy. You should enter under my roof. Only say the word and my soul shall be.
Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Turn your ear towards me on the day when I call. Speedily answer me. For those who are unable to receive our Lord sacramentally at this time, we invite you to pray the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let us pray. <clears throat> Visit your people, O Lord, we pray, and with ever watchful love, Look upon the hearts dedicated to you by means of these sacred mysteries, so that under your protection we may keep safe this remedy of eternal salvation, which by your mercy we have received through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Bow down for the blessing. May your protection, O Lord, we pray, defend the humble and keep ever safe those who trust in your mercy that they may celebrate this, the Paschal festivities not only with bodily observance, but above all, with purity of mind, through Christ our Lord. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go forth, the Mass is ended. Thanks be to God.
prayer of deliverance, Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy that thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Spreading the splendor of truth. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Deborah Haney from the Catholic School's office at the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, and you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Catholic Connection.